Aloha, everybody, and welcome to the Jason Jones Show. And you are going to love today's show. It's a break from all that religion and politics. We're going to the movies with the director, David Cunningham, to talk about his powerful and entertaining new film, Running for Grace, starring Jim Caviezel and Matt Dillon. You're going to love the movie. You're going to love the interview. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the Jason Jones Show. And today's episode is being brought to you by Movie to Movement. Movie to Movement promotes a culture of life, love, and beauty through the power of film. And you can visit Movie to Movement at their website, movietomovement.com. Here we go. Aloha, David Cunningham. Welcome to the Jason Jones Show. Aloha, Jason. Thanks for having me. Oh, brother, it is it is a privilege um, for me to have you for many reasons. Number one, I mean, you've had a very successful career in Hollywood, but you know, being from Hawaii, here you're the biggest deal. I mean, you're a really, really big deal. You are a, a local. <laughs> you're a local boy who had success at home, went to Hollywood, had a lot of success, and then came back home and um, had your first film. So for me. This is a great opportunity. So welcome to the Jason Jones Show. Thank you, Jason. It's a joy to be with you, man. Thank you for all that. So um, I want to talk to you, first of all, about your film, Running for Grace, which is a, maybe not first of all, but I want to talk to you about Running for Grace, uh, because that's why you made time for me today to make sure people knew about your know about your, your movie. But I really want to know about your career. How did a young man from the big island of Hawaii make it to Los Angeles? I know that you had a your first film really caught the industry's attention. I think you're at least the film I think is your first film to end all wars. Um, yeah, it was actually that, my second film, but that was definitely the one that that got the attention of the studios for sure. And then your first film was it's called Beyond Paradise. It was oh based- no, that's right. Okay, of yeah. course I remember Beyond Paradise. Yeah, about three three Hawaiians and their their only holy friend in their last semester of, of high school dealing with teen pregnancy and drug abuse and a coming of age movie. So yeah, that was, that was my very first one. And, uh, we did two end all wars, the world war two movie, um, starring Kiefer Sutherland. We also shot that in the islands and that, that dealt with forgiveness in the face of war and a powerful true story that we had a privilege to make a movie about. And, and that one, uh, yeah, put me on the map with the studios. So how did you, how did you go from the big, not even Honolulu? Like I'm, I live in the big city, right? Actually I live in the big second city, Kapolei, Hawaii, the fastest growing city in America for six years straight. When I moved here, it was country. And, uh, now I feel like I live in Manhattan almost in the middle of Manhattan, but you are not only from Hawaii, but you are from the big, island of Hawaii. And when you were growing up, I don't even think you guys had like Walmart or Kmart. That was country country, right? Big time. I mean, it was was almost like a developing country in that we didn't have any of those big shops and infrastructure. And in terms of a cinema, we had one funky cinema that um, had lice and and you never knew if it was, you know, you were going to get lice or not. So most people didn't go, you know, but um, I mean, it was an amazing childhood. I don't want to paint a, a picture that was, it was a hardship or anything, but in terms of 
urban and in terms of, you know, culture within the arts, that kind of thing was very limited. So yeah, pretty unusual. And then I, I, I think, as you know, I come from this long line of missionaries and ministers. And here I come with this passion to hopefully shape culture and, and, and engage in popular culture. Now, yeah. So your father is not only, um, so you, you come from a long line of, I think it's seven, five generations, seven generations of missionaries. Yes. Yeah, seven generations seven on one generations. side and four on the other. Just crazy, amazing legacy. My great grandfather, for example, started 13 churches out of a covered wagon in the territory of Oklahoma, literally building these churches, him and his family by hand with mud bricks. Uh, my great uncle was a prisoner of war in China during World War II. Um, he put his pregnant wife on the last Red Cross ship out of there, and he stayed in China with his congregation and was imprisoned for, for much of the, the war. And uh, my grandmother was uh, one of the first woman ordained ministers in her denomination. And, and yeah, my parents started an interdenominational Christian organization called YWAM or Youth of the Mission. And uh, so I grew up in that kind of context and traveled the world quite a bit. We, would, we were living in, in Kona on the Big Island of Hawaii, but about four months of the year, we would visit missionaries around the world to encourage them and build them up and, and saw a lot of amazing people doing amazing work in a, in a hurting and broken world. And, you know, I crossed the Sahel Desert with my dad as a young man. And we, uh, I did Outback Australia a couple of times with the Aboriginal communities there, refugee camps, that kind of thing. But uh, really had a passion to tell stories. And that was my, my heart was to, to try to translate that and continue the family business, but with, with a different pulpit. Well, coming from, uh, I was, I was telling someone about you this morning and I, I said, I said, the only way I can describe David Cunningham is I said, imagine what a man would be like if he came from seven generations of missionaries, of thoughtful, godly people, seven generations. Imagine what a man would be like that would be sheltered by that kind of world that would be formed in that kind of soil. Imagine that that's David Cunningham. That's the only way I, I could describe it, describe you to him. Now, do you think, and is your father a good storyteller having to share the gospel across so many different cultures? Did you sit at his knee and listen to him tell stories across yes. cultures? Yes, I think any any good minister is is a, a, a great storyteller. And of course, Christ was the best. And so you, you need to definitely be a communicator that connects to people's hearts and uh, a lot of my family uh, legacy involves authors as well. Many of them are writers. And um, so it's, and you know, when you step back and look at it, you go, okay, I, I can kind of see it now. But when I was, you know, 12, 13 year old kid and, and brought this up to my dad initially, and my mom had warned my dad, Hey, David wants to talk to you about something and you just need to hear him out first. (laughs) And so when I asked him or I I shared, I think this is my calling is to make Hollywood movies. And he says, you mean like Billy Graham movies? And I said, no, no, like, like Hollywood movies. And I want to, you know, if I had the vocabulary I have today, I would say a, a passion and a heart and a calling for popular culture. And we certainly want, and need the the choir's help, but I don't feel like 
I'm supposed to be preaching to the choir, if that makes sense. We want their support and partnership and, and want to respect and honor. But I, I really hope to, to reach a lot of people and, and many people who don't know the Lord. Now, do you th- here's, here's something, just going back to your childhood, childhood. Do you think, you know, I am very open and honest with what I do at Movie to Movement. Like my goal, Movie to Movement is actually not even an organization. It's a program of an organization that's a, a Christian human rights organization. And the goal of the Movie to Movement program is to share an elevated vision of the human person with the world. That's our goal. But I also think that entertainment is just a beautiful thing to entertain people, to make them smile, to take them away from their day-to-day struggles. Do you think that as you traveled the world, especially the developing world, and you saw so much hardship, was it a desire to share the gospel? Was it a desire to lift and to elevate people? For just a time, a moment to escape their their present reality was it all the above? Was it uh, were you enamored with sort of the the bright lights and the excitement of the entertainment industry? What w- what would you say was the hook? Because one of the questions I ask everyone, and I'm going to ask you at the end of the show, even though I already know the answer is, what did you want to be when you grow up? But you knew as a very young man, right? The first thing you thought of that you wanted to be was a director, right? So. You asked the question about the gospel versus escape and and giving people a, a break in in the midst of a tough life. And for me, that it's it's the same answer that the gospel is bringing light, and light is is bringing the gospel. And in terms of entertainment, if if it's done right, so entertainment the the definition of entertainment is is to host. And I feel like as a filmmaker and, and those involved in the entertainment industry, you're, the way to steward that is to be a good host. So how are you going to host these people if you've got their attention for two hours and they're giving you those two hours? So I, I hope that all of my films have hosted well. This is my eighth movie. They all have, have themes that um, I feel are, are redemptive hopefully maybe challenging in some categories. Yes, brings levity to your life in, in some cases. Um, but you just don't know. You know, you try to you try to be inspired in your work and and follow the the will of the Lord and and hope that it connects. And I I became good friends with Jim Caviezel through the making of this movie, who's who's one of the stars. And we were just chatting between takes and he says, David, you never know. Someone's gonna be flipping through the channels someday and our movie's going to pop up and that person may have a gun by his hands by his side and and he is in a dark dark place and our little movie might give him some hope you just don't know you don't know the, the, what's what's going to happen and and that's true i mean that's a very dramatic uh example but you, you know never- it happened but it actually already happened to me today regarding your movie do you want me to go into that Sure. Or we can we can go into that later. But first of all, real quick, though, the hosting idea. I've never heard that before from a writer, from a director, from a producer, from, from a producer or anyone. Do you think that that came to you through being raised in Hawaii, this idea of hosting as a filmmaker? It seems very unique to me. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, you get hosting. You, you were the one teaching us on the red carpet on how to – to host them, I think you think you, I think you use the words "love bomb." You know, let's love these people and celebrate who they are. We did the the benefit red carpet screenings together for kids at risk and adopted families and so on, and I and that so resonated with me 
Um, so you get that. That's what movie to movement is all about. Um, but maybe some of that, I, I also have a, a dear friend who is, who's got a real heart for the industry and she's been running with me for many years and, um, she talks about hosting well. So I probably picked it up from her, my friend, Kristen. And, um, so yeah, but I think it is, it's key to understand that stewardship and that, that role that you carry. And there's just so much stuff out there these days that aren't hosting well, you know, and, and, and we, I want to, play a part of 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 the opposite. And I'm so glad you shared that with me because at Movie to Movement, and I believe, you know, I became a Christian in Hawaii, through Hawaii. So it's the gospel through the lens of our culture here, which really takes hosting seriously, um, almost reverently. But I never really, I thought my job as a host was sort of before and after. But as soon as the movie started, I would have not thought of the, that's, that is, that's hosting too. That's the that's the main part of it all, right? I wouldn't I wouldn't wrap a movie to movement event around Saw Seven, right? Or right. Or, or Sharknado, right? But um, right. But, but you're, right, you're right, totally about the Hawaii culture, though, too. And I think that comes, you know, all about we use the terms uncles and aunties to to respect the, the elders in our community. And when someone does come to your home, it, the 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 host culture of, of Hawaii is so special that way. And um, deferment and so on. So I do think that 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 influences who I am, and hopefully translates to the work. What well, it, it, it does. I mean, it, your films are beautiful. They're powerful. Running for Grace. When I, I had the privilege to first see it, I was. It touched me personally in so many ways because it uh, it reminded me of Descendants in a way that went on to become an Oscar winning film uh, did very well at the box office. But when I first saw it, it seemed so intimate, like almost a private story that would only resonate in Hawaii. But of course it resonated around the world. And I felt the same thing when I watched running for grace, I felt as if the movie was made just for me and made just for my family, but it's resonating around the world. And to that point, um, just yesterday I get a call from a government agency. I had shared the link with several government agencies and said, here's a beautiful film that celebrates um, identity, that celebrates adoption. And if there's any way that this film could be used to help you achieve your department's goals or program goals, let me know. And that was it. And then I get a call. I mean, I connected you to the the young woman on email, a high-ranking government employee, political appointee at an important government agency. And she said, we're working with Yazidi mothers who were impregnated from from ISIS and they were told to either abandon your child or you'll be rejected by your community. And so they kept their children and yet together with their children, now they are outsiders from their own community the way that the hero of Running for Grace is initially with his mother and then alone. And so they said, we want to use your film to serve the Yazidi. So when when Jim Caviezel, who is really just, again, like a very empathetic, soulful human being, it's 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 almost when you're with him in person, to me it's it's um uncanny, unsettling almost. But it happened already to think some bureaucrats in a government agency see your film and they're like, this film is going to comfort women from the most remote place in the world, the most 
you know, who knows who the Yazidi are, right? They're this obscure ethnic minority that very few people in the world know even exist. And your film is going to comfort them. And that's the power of filmmaking, right? That's the gospel. Yeah, exactly. And you never know. I mean, that's the wonderful thing about when you make a movie and you set it free, you just don't know which souls are going to connect with it, what, how it's going to be used. And, and when you shared that with me, I was like, oh, man, that'd just be amazing if, if we could play a small role in, in helping the, those, those disenfranchised and those young mothers. It's, just, it's heartbreaking to, to hear about that issue of you know, them being raped by ISIS and having these children and now being turned away from their own families because they have these, these children. And, and our, our movie, you know, it's a family movie. It's, it's a, it's a film that I made for the whole family. And, and really one of the origins of this was, was, is from my own three kids and where we wrestle over the remote at night. And, uh, my, my wife wants to watch a chick flick and my girls want to watch, you know, some, uh, some comedy and my son wants to watch something adventure and I want to watch like a period movie that takes you back in time. And I thought, man, wouldn't it be amazing if, if we made a movie together as a family that we all actually wanted to watch and not had to watch or should watch, but we wanted to watch it. And the themes of the power of adoption and identity, as you mentioned, as well as, you know, not giving up on your dreams and, and really going after it and running after those dreams. And that as you run after those dreams, that God will be there and give you the grace to, to achieve them. So that message of, of hope. And so it was a real thrill to be able to make this movie. My wife was the makeup artist and did makeup and hair on this. That's what she does professionally. My kids were, were stand-ins and doubles. My, my daughter's big cameo appearance is she, she's a foot double. So whenever it comes on screen, she hollers at the screen. What's my foot? <laughs> <laughs> she's a star. Yes. You know, so. she's a, I, my wife, put, uh, you know, I, I have the privilege of being extras in a lot of my friends' movies. They'll put me in. And my wife never has to hear the end of it. I'm like, you know, I'll remember the time I was starred in this movie with Will Smith. But you didn't star in it, honey. A corner of your nose was in that movie. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but I never let her hear the end of it. Yeah. But I don't want people to hear that and go, wait a second. His wife was the makeup artist. Her kids are in it. You know, <laughs> like, no, 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 guys. This is a big, beautiful Hollywood film. And it's entertaining. It's beautiful. It's it's truly a four quadrant film. For those of you not in the film industry, what four quadrant means simply is mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, and the kids. Like you said, David, all want to go to the film. It the, the in the industry, the model of the perfect four quadrant film is Titanic. Right, the whole family wanted to go see Titanic again and again and again. I read script after script, trying to find a four a truly four quadrant script, and I've never found one. And when I saw your film, that that was my first thought. It's like, this is a four quadrant film. Like this is, it's like finding a unicorn. You know, it's a dream to try to get, there's a lot of scripts out there that claimed to be four quadrant and they're not. And this film truly is, but it's beautiful. It's entertaining. It's campy. It's, uh, and again, it's about adoption. But what really struck me is it's something I think about is I have seven children and in the, the Tinder age, you know, we all want our children to be happy and to find a spouse and, and to um, have a healthy, like the awakening of Eros is such a beautiful thing in a young person's life. You know, the first time, David, you probably remember the first time you saw a girl 
as a girl, you know? Um, the first time a young uh, a girl looks and sees a man as a man, the first time I saw a girl as a girl, as you know, was in fifth grade at the roller rink and <laughs> Hall, Hall & Oates was playing, you know? And all of a sudden <laughs> I looked across and there was this girl from my class and what, what am I thinking? What am I feeling? I've never thought this or felt this before. The Awakening of Eros, right? Yes. And you can't find films that sh- that share in a clean, wholesome, beautiful way The Awakening of Eros. And I think sometimes, and this isn't a Christian film, a Christian film in quotes. It's not a Christian film, but it's a film, obviously, with your worldview and your sensibilities. But I think sometimes in the Christian films, they run away from The Awakening of Eros. And But what this film does in a very beautiful way is it shows what it's like for a young man and a young woman to notice each other and in a clean and beautiful way. And that's what most excited me as a, as a young father. And even though the Hapa, you know, but the, the half Japanese, half Howley, half white kids, I have Hapa kids and I knew they were going to love that and, and identify with that. But, but that was small potatoes for me because I just think the way it dealt with the awakening of Eros was beautiful. Was that something that you, as you were developing the script, you wanted to do, or is that just something that, that developed naturally from the story? Well, a little bit of both. You know, the the original writer, Christian Parks, had had really the, that romantic core in it from the very beginning. And, um, and that was, it was a beautiful thing that was, as you, you know, in the, you're saying in so many words, there's a, a purity to this, this attraction between this wealthy plantation owner's daughter and a, an orphan boy who's, who has no last name because in the 1920s, uh, children of mixed ethnicity could not be legally adopted. And that's, that's kind of the core of the story of, of this young man who's kind of the, the reject of the community in, in the 1920s Hawaii is 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 taken under the wing by Matt Dillon's character um, who, who uses him as a medicine runner to run medicine up and down the mountain, but really becomes his de facto father. And the two of them um, set out to try to overcome these obstacles on, on behalf of, of the boy whose his name is Joe. So I think the the romance part is definitely key to the plot and I think people will, will enjoy it, get a kick out of it. And, um, we, we try to deal with themes that are relevant to today, but, um, somehow when you, when you make a story, when you to make a movie that's set in another time in another place, it's almost like music, you know, where sometimes it can go right to your heart. You're not really processing it mentally. You're, you're feeling it. And so you can deal with a lot of issues when you move the audience into this other time and place. So we were dealing with issues of racism and the power of adoption, um, of identity, you know, things that are, are relevant to today. We just talked about the Azizis and how this might help them and we couldn't have planned that. So the, defin- the romance part is a definite core um, in, this, in this movie. Um, but it's, it's also very much about how a mentor, one individual can change the trajectory of, of, of a person's life. And it's just, it's just one of those things. And you, we saw it together there in Honolulu with the, the kids, youth at risk folks. And 
and how they responded to this film and, and their youth pastor that got up there and said, you know, don't give up on your dreams. Be like Joe, just keep going. You know, it was so fun to watch and just, just, yeah. So hard. Yeah. By the way, that's something else I I did love about the film is how, um, because I do a lot of work with pregnancy centers around the country. And so I've developed, I was a teen parent. I was a high school dropout. You know, I was a teen parent born to a teen parent who was born to a teen parent um, and high school dropout and went from being, you know, sort of an outcast of society. You know, my, my father would tell me when I was young, when, you know, if you grow up to be a ditch digger and that makes you happy, I'll be happy, which was my dad's way of saying, learn how to dig ditches because that's probably all you're going to get, you know? And, Mm. but thanks to mentors, um, I've been able to pursue my dreams and achieve them. And what I like is you, yes, Joe goes from literally being an outcast of his, of the community. It wasn't even his, he was an outcast of the community and he became literally the pillar of the community. And that's a real story. I know so many pillars of our community here in Honolulu who, who come from being outcast. And then we think, well, especially here in Hawaii, David, right? To be mixed, to be mixed is to be normal. And I always tell my friends who marry somebody of the same ethnicity, I sit them down when they tell me they're going to propose to someone of the same ethnicity. I sit them down and I, with my wife and I look them in the eye and I say, now, listen, it's, it's not that I'm opposed to same ethnicity marriages. I just worry for your kids. They're going to look strange. They're just going to look different. They're not going to look like the rest of the kids in Hawaii. And so we've come such a long way in less than 100 years, but we forget the whole world's not where Hawaii is. And today in Kurdistan, there are children who are Arab, half Arab and half Yazidi who, like Joe, live outside of their community. It's not even their community. They live outside of the community. Um and now your film is going to be used to inspire these women and their children. And, and, and by the grace of God, the, their children will become pillars of the community. Amazing, right? Amazing. No, it's, it's so good. Yeah, and, and, you know, you talk about Hawaii and, and the context of our film. Not so long ago, the Hawaii was segregated for, for controlling reasons. You know, the plantation owners didn't want the Filipinos to get together with the Chinese, to get together with the Japanese and, and compare what they were making and all of that. They intentionally kept them segregated. And the the federal laws at the time as a U.S. territory here in Hawaii, um, you know, celebrated that whole notion. And um, so to see how far we've come to be, I think we're the most ethnically mixed state in the union now, right, Jason? Is that right? Yeah, we're actually the most ethnically diverse political community in the world. Political or ethnically? Well, with- by, by, but I said, but I said political, like as a polity, as a state, you know, we're not a country, okay. but you take any state or yeah. country in the world, any sort of political organization in the world, we are, we are literally the most ethnically diverse community in the world. And what's amazing is how much we love each other. And, you know, you can get in trouble being from Hawaii because we can become pretty free in today's politically correct age with telling ethnic jokes, right? We can be pretty yeah. free. Well, we, yeah. we're free because when your nieces are Hawaiian and your cousins are Japanese and your wife's Chinese and you're, you know, well, you're, you're telling these jokes in the family room because you all love each other and it's pretty funny. Um, 
but you know, I make some of these jokes on Facebook and I get people from Idaho messaging me that I triggered them. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, how did my Samoan joke trigger you? Do you? Have you ever even met a Samoan? Come on, leave me alone. Leave me alone. But that's the beauty that we have come from a place that was literally, truly segregated. I have a friend from the Big Island, John Carroll. Uh, he's always running for office here. He's in his, he's 91 right now and running for governor. I just lost, I think, in the primary. But was kicked was kicked out of the Pacific Club in 1950 for marrying a Hawaiian girl. And, um, but this is the power of stories, right? And now we're talking about running for grace and we are talking about these really profound, um, messages that are coming through the film. But when I watch the film, I don't feel that it's just, I'm being entertained. There's a lot of humor in it and, uh, you're going to cry, you're going to laugh. Um, and so I want everyone, the reason I wanted to have, have you on this podcast in the middle of your world tour to promote the film to come on this little jason jones show although last week we were number four in the world for itunes under the category um nonprofit organizations with podcasts so we're proud of that yes that's big that's that's, that's big for us and no time will be number three <laughs> but um <laughs> I, I want everyone that listens to the jason jones show to um to get uh, running for grace. How, and what's the easiest way to get it? iTunes or mm-hmm. Apple? Yeah, I would go to our website, runningforgracemovie.com and it will show you there all the different platforms that it's available on. But there is a really cool thing that you can do um, where you can gift the movie through iTunes to families that have adopted or families that are fostering or, or individuals that are working with youth at risk. And if you go to our website, runningforgracemovie.com, you'll see that as, as an option too. But it's, it's available on almost every significant platform from iTunes to Amazon, Vudu, all of those. And uh, we're, we're super proud of it and really appreciate folks to download it, watch it with their families and enjoy it. Yeah, so go to Running for Grace, watch it, and then you're going to want, and I'm asking you to gift it. Gift one to one foster family. And one of the things, David, you saw this live when we did our red carpet premieres. We forget, I forget, as somebody who was a teen parent who could never go to movies for maybe 10 years until I was in my late 20s, you know, um, because I was on such a tight budget. You you forget that going to the movies for, I forget, is, is, is expensive for a lot of folks. Yeah. And um, so when we throw these red carpet premieres in Hawaii, we do about four a year for the folks. And people come up to me and say the only time they get to go to a movie is at a movie to movement event. And um, they thank me for it. So when you see this film and then if you gift the film to a, a family, a foster family, uh, or a youth group or something like that. I think it's it's a beautiful thing. I want to have you back on and just do a whole show on your broader career. One of the things I really want to I really want to talk to you about is the path to 9-11, a film that you made that really, really, what a privilege. You made a film that it is not hyperbole to say rocked the world. Is that fair to say? Yes, in more ways than one. It was that <laughs> was another wild ride that we did not expect. So when you when you were swinging that hammer that that big mallet, you didn't expect the the reverber the, the reverberation to come back on you the way it did. I mean, when you hit the world that hard, I'm sure it jars your bones, right? Yes, it's it's true. You know, we the the movie uh, the Path to 9/11 was at the time the largest miniseries that ABC ever funded. It was about forty three million dollars, and uh, 
It was about the events leading up to 9-11, starring Harvey Keitel and a cast of over 200. And the whole point of it was based upon the bipartisan um, 9-11 commission report about how do we as a country learn from how and why the the whole 9-11 event happened so that so we can prevent it in the future. And it was completely meant to be bipartisan. And we hit a nerve with the Clinton campaign. And they felt that they saw the, they had some representatives see the film early before it was broadcast. And they felt like it could impact Hillary's bid for running. And because we had showed in one of the scenes, we had shown that there was an opportunity to take out Osama bin Laden. But with all of the bureaucracies with the Lewinsky scandal, there was all this distraction and that opportunity was missed. And this is in the 9-11 commission report. We didn't like go make stuff up. And uh, they took offense by that and launched a blogging campaign that turned into a mainstream media campaign to try to have the, the film pulled. It got crazy. And I, I, I just, I look back at my younger self and go, David, you were just so naive, you know, of how the world works. And I, I couldn't believe that people like Senator Harry Reid was threatening to pull ABC's FCC license if they didn't censor the movie or remove the movie. I mean, I, what's this whole freedom of speech thing? And then watching CNN tell lies about my family because they started reporting from Clinton bloggers that my parents' Christian organization, which is, if anybody knows Youth at the Mission or YWAM out there, you know just by the, the vehicles they drive that it's one of the more broke organizations out there, but that somehow Youth at the Mission funded this $43 million movie with the sole intention to keep Hillary from being elected. So it got really crazy, um, and it did, it did show. It was censored. ABC did cave to some of that pressure but thankfully not completely they did air it and uh i think 23 million americans saw it over the two nights and we did win a primetime emmy but um that was it they they blocked it from being shown again you can't buy it online and it was kind of squashed and uh, so that was a a really enlightening also very tough lesson for me of, of how the world works. And, you know, when you put yourself out there, if you have a calling to popular culture, to, to a large audience, you need to have some thick skin and uh, stay on your knees a lot too. Well, yeah. Do you think if you weren't raised in such a faithful family or raised in such a loving community that you could have even survived the, the at least in the industry, the barrage that you received? Yeah, you know, I don't know. I, I honestly, compl- from that process, I, un- I understood why celebrities and, and folks that work in high-profile positions turn to all kinds of things to uh, try to, to bring comfort to themselves, people that don't know the Lord. And I, I, I completely get it, and, and I, I, I felt like, man, that – was judgmental of me to even say, how come like that guy's got the world, you know, he's, he's rich and famous and why? And you, you get it. The, the pressure is so intense. And I've often thought about that, you know, and people, the Bible talks about 
how gossip is is witchcraft, you know, and and how witchcraft is cursing it. Well, these people in public, when they start having millions of people gossiping and cursing them, what what does that do? You know, in the supernatural, what does that even look like? What's going on with that? And I, I saw that at a whole new light. Yeah, and not, and then you maybe felt guilt because now, oh, look what I brought to my family and my family's friends, and all yeah. because it's not just when they slander you; they just didn't leave you. They don't. They go after. Look, the, the last place I want to be in the world is if, like Jason. Do you want to stand between like this rhinoceros and its mate, or do you want to stand between Hillary Clinton and her political aspirations? I would say, please put me between the rhinoceros over there and its mate, because <laughs> that is a safer place for me to be than between Hillary Clinton and her political aspirations, which you were actually between Hillary and her aspirations to be president of the United States. Yeah, that's that's not the best place to be. Is it's true? And and to your other point, what was what was really hurtful is what the lies that they were making up about my family. They were trying to build this case that. That, they, that they, there's been this long time agenda, you know, and um, what when I heard that missionaries that were part of the the network that my parents started were losing financial support because people were believing their lies on the other side of the world, saying what you through the mission is in politics now, and losing money to be able to help stay on the mission field that that was probably what rattled me some of the most was going. This is, you know, the implications of of this is just so beyond me and even my little family. Well, where did your career go from there? So I know you you eventually came back home, but yeah, you stayed did, in Los Angeles. I did another movie right after that uh, uh, for Fox, uh, a fairly big one called The Seeker, and um, through that process, combined with Pasta and Eleven, I, I came to a moment where. I was actually on the Fox lot and I, I was at the peak of my career, I guess you'd say, you know, being a studio director is, is, is a, a, a rare privilege. There's just not that many that can get, that get to that place. And I had the golf cart and the bungalow and, you know, the, the, the offers coming in and all the rest. And I, I was standing there looking at those fancy gates at, at, at Fox where I'm sure you've been and seeing all the people trying to get in through their security and all I had this mental image that I, I was in the middle of a prison and everybody was trying to break in and I wanted to go, no, turn around, <laughs> you know, turn around. And I shot up a prayer to the Lord at the time. And I was like, listen, I know my calling is to be a filmmaker and I always want to be and will be, but there's gotta be another way to make movies with egos, not being the driving factor um, on decision making, with overhead being so ridiculous, with so much waste, with with a with voice a, a voice of that 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 comes from my heart, and not being a, a hired gun that's told you know kind of what to do, what not to do. And it, it was in that space that we decided to move back to Hawaii, and we wanted to raise our kids here. All three of my kids have been born and raised here, like like yours, and we knew that. If we were going to be serious about independent film in Hawaii, we would first have to help build infrastructure because there's there's not a lot of uh, infrastructure, especially on the Big Island of Hawaii, for for filmmaking. And so we've been doing that. And now we um, we've built a studio in cooperation with the local government, 
and we have a slate of movies and running for grace is our first movie coming out of that shop so we're super proud of it and um so it's it's the realization of 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 many dreams and 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 a lot of scar tissue well i can tell you that you have made a lot of people's dreams in hawaii come true because running for grace was celebrated in Hawaii by our businesses. You know, as you saw at the premiere, everyone from bank presidents to kids from section eight housing were all there and very proud of your film. And so what's your dream project? What's the, I think we all have, everyone in the film business has this one film that they hope to make. What is that one film? Can I say two films? <laughs> you, can, you can. You can say two. Well, the one that I hope to make next is is The Wind and the Reckoning, which is a true story about a in the 1890s about a native Hawaiian who gets leprosy. And he and his son actually both get leprosy. And they refuse to be broken up as a family. And they're actually um, – the family is is – a people of faith. They're a family of faith and they refuse to have their, their marriage broken up because if you were sent to Molokai, the Island of the living grave for quarantine, the moment you hit there, you were legally divorced and this family refused to do that. And they were, went into the jungles and hid for three and a half years while they were pursued. And it's just, it's kind of a last of the Mohicans vibe and amazing cast involved. So that's what I'm, I'm hoping to do next. And then a dream project of mine that I've been working on for a very long time is um, a movie called Day of War, which is about David and his mighty men. And it's an action-adventure movie set in ancient Israel based upon the scriptures that deals with the, the, the whole ensemble of, of, of men that were around David. And uh, that's a whole franchise that we... I've gotten the rights to books by Cliff Graham, and um, we hope to make a whole franchise around that. I know those books. Those are beautiful books. And The Wind and the Reckoning is, by the way, that's one of my dream projects. So I I pray I get to be a part of that. Did you know what happened at one of the red carpet premieres involving the story that you're going to tell at The Wind and the Reckoning? Which... We did so many of them. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> okay, so for those of you listening, I don't want to lose you. So we, we did these red carpet premieres and we invited the community, uh, different different groups. And there was this family, this, this husband and wife that came up and I asked them what group they were there with and offered them tickets. And they said, no, 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 we're not with any groups. Um, but I had some tickets. So I said, well, here are two tickets. Why don't you go see the film? And they came out and they loved the film. And I, I said, here, let me give you one of my books. I'm always pushing my books. So I signed a copy of my, because they said they love history. They love the film because they love history. I'm like, well, if you love history, you like my book, The Race to Save Our Century, order it now on Kindle. And um, then the woman, I told the woman, she said, well, I have land on Kauai. So if you have any projects that you'd like to shoot in Kauai, let us know. And I said, well, the director of this film has a project that they want to shoot on Kauai. And I'd love to introduce you. And I, I told them the story and her great grand she's a Robinson and her great grandfather gave the hero of your story, his first rifle. Do you know about that? I didn't tell you about this. Oh, I, you told me a little bit about it, but I think we were in the, on the run and, and you just said, said something in passing, but I didn't, I didn't, I, I heard about the Robinson part, but that's, that's amazing. I didn't it's, know. I call the, that the Holy Spirit action plan or that's God 
God winking. Yes. God winking. So I know you got to go, but can I ask you some questions? I have some questions I ask people. Please. And, it, it is, and uh, the first question I think we answered is, David, well, the first question is, what are your parents' first names? Lauren and Darlene. L- Lauren and Darlene. And where were you born? I was born in Lausanne, Switzerland, and we moved to the Big Island of Hawaii when I was three years old, first to Hilo and then to Kona. All right. So in the old days, you know, we would have called you, you were called by where you were from. So, but you would be David of, of Kona, right? That would be your name or maybe David of Luzon, Switzerland, which beats Jason Jones of Homewood, Illinois or Payless, <laughs> Payless Hills. <laughs> um, now, what, what was the first job that you want when you, when you were a little boy? I think we maybe answered this. Do you remember what was the first thing you wanted to be when you were a little boy? Yeah, I think it's, it's always, I think it's been a filmmaker. I think it's always been a filmmaker since I, I can remember since I was 12, 13, something like that. All right. And um, now this question is the most interesting question you've ever been asked in your life. You ready? I'm ready. You've never been asked this question before. It's so original. All right. What do you dream of? What do you daydream about? What when you're I- just sitting around, when you're dawdling, when you're just dawdling, what do you daydream about? Probably surfing. Probably surfing. You know, if I'm, I'm, if I'm just wanting to like check out and think of something that brings me joy and that's, that's fun, it's surfing. But then, you know, if I'm thinking more in a writing mode, I, I, I'm constantly generating ideas for what would be a good movie, you know, and I have, I have like, I take notes and like, Oh, that could be, that could be a cool movie or that would be a cool scene. So I, I sometimes just like let my mind go and see what comes of it. Yeah, you have to daydream, right? You have to dawdle. Dawdle and daydream yes. is very, I think, is very important. Okay, now this last is not really a question, but I call this um, an opportunity. And this, you don't have to take it, but um, but you can take it if you want. Um, what, is there anyone in the world that you owe an apology to that weighs on you that you'd like to apologize to? And I will say the answers that I've gotten to this from this were, were it makes me uncomfortable even asking the question anymore. <laughs> but um, is there anyone you owe an apology to anywhere in the world that you'd like to apologize to? Wow, that's a great question. I probably have a long list. I'm just trying to think what's what's at the top. Shoot. You know, I think there's a um, there was a producer I worked with. Her name was Penelope Foster. And she helped me early on and um, she didn't tell us, but she was suffering from, from cancer and she started acting strangely when we were making the movie. And I, I was under so much pressure that I kind of distanced myself from her just because I was in survival mode. And, you know, I was this mentality of going, Hey, you're, you're here to help support me. And now you're having this mental breakdown. I didn't know she was terminally ill and um, I wish I could apologize to her. She's no longer with us. She's in heaven, but Penelope Foster, if you can hear this, I'm sorry. I wasn't a better friend at the time and, um, and it was about me and not about you. So that comes to mind. Well, brother, I I really want to want to thank you for that. That's um, I think the reason I asked this question is because we all live with that. Right. And we forget, we think that, like you think about that probably weekly. It just invades your imagination and it weighs on you. And everyone has that. So 
I, I ask that question to comfort others who are wrestling with that. And um, so thank you for sharing that. And then my last, this is a question. My last question is um, you are very successful. There are a lot of young people at film school that go to NYU, go to, you know, UT Austin, go to USC, UCLA, and they're never going to make it to where you are, or they feel like they're never going to make it right. It's sometimes it feels like we're sacrificing forever. And sometimes it takes 10, 15, 20 years. Kevin Hart said he's an overnight success that only took him 20 years though, to become an overnight success. Um, and we're addled by our failures and we maybe have one big failure and then people want to quit. And most people do quit when they have that big failure. You obviously somewhere along the line had a failure. Can you share with us what was your, your biggest failure in the industry that would, that made you almost want to quit or give up? Oh, you get them almost daily. It is such a tough field. You know, I'm, I'm looking at this image in my office here at our studio that I don't know if you've seen it. There's, two highways. One highway says what most people think road to success and that the road was clear and there's a big bright star at the end of it. And then there's what successful people know. And it's a series of fails, you know, one after another. And really the, this, this calling requires lockjaw bulldog tenacity. And you are constantly having to pivot. Okay, I hit a wall. How do I get over the wall, under the wall, through the wall? And you just have to keep going. And it, it almost feels like a conspiracy. I mean, you're a filmmaker. You know what I'm talking about. It's like, really? Can you throw anything more at me to make this more difficult? And it's like that for the entire process from writing to trying to get funding to making it to getting it out there. It's all difficult. There's not one easy part of it. So I've had so many fails. I, I failed daily and, and Lord willing, um, learn from those. And I think the main thing that I'm always trying to remember is, okay, don't do that again. Learn from that and, and move on. So I, I think one of the, the failures that I I've done in this business is I, I tried to tried to focus sometimes too much on one project that without the understanding that sometimes a different project will open a door for that project. And I'm, I've got such blinders that I'm so driven to see that one project get done. And, and sometimes you have to do uh, something else to, to be able to get that one off the ground. So that was a, a strategic thing that, that I looked at. And, um, I've got so many fails, man. I, it depends what category you want to dive into. <laughs> well, that's really good advice because I just have learned that in the past maybe two years because my dream project, like you said, it seems like a conspiracy every step of the way. And it's all I think about day or night is this one film and other projects. I've literally had investors call me and say, I'll fund any film you have that you're looking to have funded. And then I share them with this project and they're like, well, not that. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, that literally happened six weeks ago, seven weeks yeah. ago. And, um, and she's like, like it's a conspiracy. And then I just realized, you know, no, I just, I, ha I have to, there's no silver bullet. Cause my whole mission is I want the world to see the human person the way that I do is the most beautiful thing in the world is the door to transcendence. It's the image of God and that, you know, you can get in a spaceship and fly any direction in the cosmos and forever for eternity. And you'll not find anything as beautiful as your next door neighbor, even the guy that 
plays his music too loud or leaves his trash can out for four days after pickup. You know, that guy is the most beautiful creature in the cosmos, created being in the cosmos. That's my goal with film. And I used to think like this one movie I have, if I can make this movie, it'll change the world. No, it won't. It'll change hearts. Um, But I need to make work of art after work of art after work of art. And it took me 15 years to figure that out. So I'm glad you said that. So young, aspiring filmmakers listening can can, uh, figure that out early in the game. David, the other thing I want to say is not only are you a great director, but you're a a wonderful producer and a head coach in a way, because that's what I think a producer is. I've never been around a team or had the privilege of working with a team that was really put into a, a challenging position with not a lot of time to make something happen. And you're just a good, you're a good head football coach with a great team. And your team has been a, a joy to work with. They're hardworking, they're serious, they're charitable, they're thoughtful. Um, they do more than they ask you to do and they do more than you ask them to do. Oh, so, thank you. Uh, so working with your team has been a privilege. Oh, thank and, you. Um, I'm excited to see um, you get your dream projects made. And uh, I hope to grow this podcast and movie to movement grow in its reach so that we can be ever more useful to you and your projects. Well, thank you for having me, Jason. And and thank you for entrusting me and our team with, with your relationships and your friendships. You've just flung open the doors for us. And I'm, I'm very grateful and, um, and fan of the show and, and, Appreciate you having me on. All right. God bless you, brother. Aloha. Aloha. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Follow me because I am relentless on social media. You can follow me on my personal Facebook page because I like to have a conversation with my friends. You are my friend. I also post a lot on Instagram, a little bit on Twitter, and go to my website, movie2movement.com. That's www.movie2movement.com com, And you can find out about my latest film projects. Talk to you next week.